I was eager this week uh, to share with the church family that I had had an experience being able to speak on heaven a few weeks ago as we as a church family are making our way through, as you know, the book of Revelation. And so uh, able to speak on heaven a few weeks ago and on what might be there. And then the Lord gave me this last week as I was away a vision of the age to come. I went to Disney World. And the part of the vision of the age to come that I can confirm to you is that there were birds everywhere, beautiful birds, and there was no poop anywhere. You don't get it, there were birds everywhere. It was amazing. Our family's time away was at Disney World on vacation, and it blew me away going back. Now, I was seven when I went to the first time, and now going back is a totally different style of observer, just to see that there were birds everywhere and there was no poop. That, to me, was an amazing feat at a park that size, not to mention there was no trash anywhere. Can you imagine going to a place where there are hundreds of thousands of people everywhere you go and there is no trash? All of you that live in the city, you're with me. You know that that is an amazing feat. I don't know what they're doing there. It it must be people in the bushes that you set a cup down and boom, it's gone. It's missing. Your food, don't set it down. Someone is in charge of picking that up. If you leave it for longer than maybe three seconds, I don't know. But it, it, was, it was amazing. So I come to you to whisper to you, we have a foreshadow on earth right now of the age to come. Get down to Orlando sometime and take in a picture. Fittingly, they have at the center of their own world, right? <laughs> the Disney world. They have in there right at the center a tree of life. Interesting. Uh, why they have it set up the way they do. But anyway, thank you for your prayers. In all seriousness, our family did enjoy some time away, and it was a joy uh, spending our time together and down at Disney. We're thankful to be back with the church family this morning and uh, able to worship through the Word with you. One more prior announcement that I would say, please do come by to our home coming up in uh, a couple of weeks, whatever that date is exactly, the, the 8th. Um, please do come by. My wife does know the date. She w- she's going to be ready. Uh, so please come by. It's a nice time to connect with many of you in a different context than this and to share our home with you. So please do come through and pass by um, uh, if you were. And we're, we're approaching the uh, Thanksgiving season, so today's message won't be on the apocalypse. Not that we are not certainly gathering and giving thanks for the return of the Lord. But just to focus this morning, particularly to draw our hearts together as we began, even with the call to worship leading up all the way to our time around the word, would be one centered on perhaps a more unique focus of thankfulness this morning. It's funny how, as in a brief observation, you recognize what we are heading into is the channel or the the narrow tunnel of what is known as the holiday season. We're heading in there, so we're all getting our helmets on, our shoulder pads, and we're ready to take on the holiday season marathon that is before us. And it's interesting that just before we launch into achieving all of our greatest dreams and earth, 
by giving out all of our particular wish lists to each and every person we know, to let everyone know what we're coveting. Before we covet, we give thanks. So it's interesting just how we need to pause for a moment, give thanks for what did occur so far, but then really look forward to what we really want next. So just for a couple of moments here this morning, I do want to draw your attention as the 10th commandment reads this way. It's good as believers reorient our hearts to the law of God. The 10th commandment by way of remembrance reads this way. You can look it up later. I have it here for you. But Exodus 20 verse 17, the 10th commandment reads before your Lord, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet his servant, his ox, his donkey, or perhaps here we are in the 21st century church, along with those other items we'll look at, the Lord offers to us, you shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. A fitting word for each of us, no matter the season, but particular as we orient our hearts in the American calendar to a time of thankfulness, a time for the church to remember to fight covetousness. An interesting way the Lord spoke this way, and uh, it was Luke 10. He's speaking this way uh, to the lawyer, right? After going on uh, a a little bit of a a wrestle with a Pharisee, he then engages a lawyer who then says, "Um, uh, you tell me about the law. Jesus says, well, you tell me the law. What does it say? Interesting for each of us as we handle our Bible, how to read our Holy Scripture, how to read what it is that God has said. Jesus follows up right after he asks this. What does it say? He then says this. How do you read it? Interesting there for each of us as students of Holy Scripture. It's words on the page. How do you read it? Yes, the lawyer. The lawyer responds and talks about the law. And he says, I remember the greatest commandment is this, love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. And then Jesus saying, and the second is like it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer, being a good one, then says, who is my neighbor? Right? Because if I can find that, then I can, again, Jesus, Luke records, he asked that to justify himself. I had an incident where we were plowing through the, 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 the people at Disney with our bulldozer, i.e. a double stroller. We were running people down, getting to our rides. Everyone darting every which way, rides everywhere, carts everywhere, children crying everywhere. We're moving through the crowds, ramming this double stroller. And I have within this double stroller a striving beginning to take place. There were two little trinkets. One of the children had one. Another one had the other one. And then, of course, neither want the one that they possess at the time. They want the one that the other one in the other seat has. Dad pulls us over and instructs, no one needs to be touching anybody's neighbor. Hands to yourself. Don't touch your neighbor. A keen observer, the lawyer in the family then says, standing by, witnessing the rebuke, says, they're not really neighbors. The lawyer, who is my neighbor? 
right, if I can define, if I, if I, I, I hear instruction, and in order to get out from under its observance or its call upon me to obey, I need to find a way to redefine. I think my neighbor's over there, so then I could covet all of these people's things because that's not technically my neighbor. If we look at the law, children and adults act the same way in many ways with the same heart that we all bear. But my point this morning isn't to draw a line on neighbor and each one of us. The Lord clarifies that in Luke 11. You all get it. My point this morning as we draw our hearts to a season of thankfulness is to really focus and define the distinctions on coveting. Just the idea of coveting. And let, let, let's really drive our hearts to the thought of the, the summary of the law. Anything that is your neighbor's, let us just receive. Neighbors. Don't covet anything that belongs to the neighbor. It gets to the heart of the issue, your heart. Regardless of who defines me geographically, boundaries with my neighbor and the fences in which not addresses the heart of covetousness. The first distinction about coveting that you have to wrap your mind around as we think about the 10th commandment here is what is and is not coveting? Can you desire or is that categorically coveting? That every time I see something and I desire it or indeed I want or I wish to have and possess, is that immediately sinful? Am I somehow earthly minded and ungodly? And so that I can prove my godliness by getting rid of everything I own. Or I can prove my godliness by pretending I don't want anything and rebuking everybody else who does. Is desire and coveting the exact same thing? Are they equal? Is a wish list at Christmas time? And I'll give each of you mine when we leave. Thank you for that laugh. There's a couple people that get it. Is it the same as coveting? Does it prove a godlessness in the heart or an emptiness that needs to be filled? Or is there a way certainly to wish, desire, or want without coveting? I think that each of us would agree. Yes, we can desire, want, wish. I don't know whatever one you want to use or which one you're most familiar with. We can want something we don't possess in a godly manner. Think about the, the, the bounty of God's creation, number one. It is godly to love the work of the Lord. To desire to maybe go out and possess some land. To rejoice over the land you've been given. To rejoice over the Lord's creative work. To want to participate, to desire, to wish to have. We can desire in a godly manner God's work in creation. We can also, as each of us maybe it lakes a little bit more of a connection as we're doing various technological pieces in our hands, electronics and so forth. We can also desire or want or wish to possess in a godly manner the fruit of human labor. It is a gift to us. A kindness of the Lord through the mind. Once again, I was reminded of the great gift of technology. Once again, this sermon's really not about Disney World. This is coming to me right now, whether you go or not. But the joy of human labor, riding on rides that have terrified my son since we've gotten back. 
trying to help Carson realize it's not all real. But the gift of technology and, 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 and sharing in it as a family and enjoying it without sinning? Sure. Sure. So the work of desiring God's creative work or the, the ingenuity of fruitful human labors, we can desire without coveting. So as we look to the Christmas season, it's not ungodly. But yet, when do we covet? When does, when does the desire, the, the, the wish, the want transition into ungodly coveting? Because that is the Tenth Commandment. I would suggest to you that we covet when we desire what, by God's grace, has been given to another. This is the drive of, of our personal interactions with others, our evaluations of ourselves and our life by God's grace, and evaluating it against the lives of others. We're already messing things up when we're evaluating what God has done in us by what He has given to another. This is the essence of coveting. Let me suggest to you once again, we covet the difference. Again, can we desire in a godly manner? Yes, we covet when we desire, which is good, by God's grace, what has been given to another. In other words, God is giving good gifts, James 1. All good gifts and providence even come from the Father who is above. And He's gifting each one of us in this room. Gifting society through common grace. Giving gifts and goodnesses by providence to all. And yet we covet them because we see the person. And we strive against their good gifts and we're unthankful because we rebuke God that He hasn't given them to us. This is coveting. And the Tenth Commandment makes it clear. Don't do that. So how can we get from doing it to not doing it? And that's where we're eventually going this morning. But let's explore just for a minute longer the idea of coveting. Coveting is heard oftentimes in each of our minds, hearts, or even if when we get tired, we let it out of our lips and let everyone know what's secretly going on anyway in the heart. And we hear that coveting is heard in the complaint, I should have that. Oh, we should have that as a couple, as a family. We should do that. We should have that. As we're, again, where is our gaze? Here at our neighbor. This is, this is where coveting is beginning to emerge. But it only emerges there. A coveting heart only thinks in terms of, so when you're saying, I should have that, evaluate. Evaluate. Because it gets worse. A coveting heart only thinks in terms of what would make me happy. Think about that in the life of the Spirit. 
risen with Christ, gifted with the Spirit, living your life by faith, and a coveting spirit only thinks of what would make me happy. Do you see how that's contrary to your life in the Spirit? A coveting heart only thinks in that moment you're only thinking... How will my life be better advanced? By having this. By doing that. By possessing these things. We're only thinking about what will make me happier in a moment. What will advance my life from here to here. Taking my boring doll existence and ratcheting it up to something meaningful and exciting. We're getting to the heart of coveting. Do you see? It is a heart issue. Because indeed, we can desire godly. But we covet, we only think. Of looking at another, what would make me happy. It's contrary to our life in the spirit. The third thing I just kind of thought through about coveting is without any regard for how others may be affected. That's where it really hits rock bottom. When we're thinking in a covetous manner, again, we only think what would make me happy in this moment is possessing that item or that relationship or that home or that job. What would make me happy? So we're already transitioning away from our walk with the Lord. Secondly, then we just kind of continue and we think, how would it make my life better advanced? We have these dreams of being these people and doing these things and possessing these items and playing these games. And then ultimately it shows itself by having absolutely no regard for how others will be affected in you attaining your items. This is the nastiness of coveting. It's contrary to our walk in the Lord. As we look at the New Testament, we see we are actually not attaining. We're giving away our life into others. Coveting comes along and says, I'm just advancing my own. And in its worst shape, I have no regard for others of how I might be advanced. Now consider, once again, the greatest and the second is unlike it in the commandments. Loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind is the greatest commandment. And the second, like it, loving your neighbor as yourself. You see the two commandments emerge together. Because the heart is already not walking with the Lord and cannot care for their neighbor. A covetous heart is void of loving the Lord. Because he's the giver of all good gifts and you're living a life of rebuke to him. He hasn't given you what you really need. He hasn't given me what I really want and desire. 
We oftentimes don't think far enough, right? We think our battle is with the trinket. We think our battle is with our neighbor. But when we step back, we understand the sovereignty of the Lord. All good gifts are coming from Him. Our rebuke is with the Lord. Our complaint is against Him. And if our complaint is against Him, it is then naturally against our neighbor. Let me read for you uh, James. Listen to the way that James speaks of this in James chapter 4. He says this in verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. So, you murder. You covet. And cannot obtain. So you fight. And you quarrel. Because you covet. And you cannot attain. So where does that leave you? Fighting and quarreling. Bitterness and unhappiness. Discontentment sets in. You fight and you quarrel. Why am I so embittered? Why am I so unhappy? Why am I nearly despondent towards my family? Can it be that the heart is restless as it's coveting something other than what God has given that a neighbor possesses? This is the nastiness of coveting. And the 10th commandment is reminding us, it goes further. The 10th commandment reads this way. God, uh, God warns us that it will strike us in these three categories that I've read for you, but it certainly is just representative of Anything that is your neighbor's. But these three representative comments in the 10th commandment, let me just walk through them briefly as we consider once again the idea of coveting. Number one, you saw there in the uh, commandment that I read for you, not covet your neighbor's house. So it might sound something like this, and I don't know, again, this is representative, but let me just read it as is, with housing. Maybe our heart when we go to a home. Maybe we visit and we sit with a family. Maybe they have us in for dinner. And the only thing we walk away with is something along the lines of, I should live there. That should be my house. I got this one. And it leans like this. I should have that one. Maybe we're walking through the neighborhood, getting some exercise. And we just look and gaze. And we say in our heart a complaint that says, I should be living there. This is just an object that you're regularly going to encounter. And it's a category for examining a covetous spirit. It will strike you even with housing. Wow, they got a nice fence. I should live there and have that fence. Again, why does that matter? It's tiny. It's, it's, it's nonsense. It's because God gives all good gifts, and he hasn't given them to me. This is the heart of the Tenth Commandment. It goes on from housing, and uh, some of you that are new here, you're kind of, uh, kind of doing this number... Are the kids all right in there? 
They are. Everybody relax. We've got very capable nursery workers, and they do this each and every week. Sometimes even worse. Someone's fighting with someone, pinching someone, and coveting their neighbor's trinket. Maybe not housing, but it's something else my neighbor has. From housing, then, within the Ten Commandments, it says, Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's, let's just say, spouse. That is, even within the people of God or outside within neighbors and friends and relationships, we can say something along the lines of, wow, he's a great provider. He's a hard worker. I got this guy. I've been asking him to do this thing for like two months. Go over to their house and we ought to be living there and I ought to be married to him. Or vice versa. Wow, she's great. Did you see how she brought all our drinks at the right time? I should be married to her. And worse. God writing in the law, driving at the heart, says these relationships will strike you. Giving opportunity for covetousness. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. God has given you your covenant partner. She and he are from the Lord. Don't rebuke him by coveting another. This is the spousal relationship that God has spoken of here in the Tenth Commandment. Then it goes on generally, as I said to you, and anything that is, or we could say his servant or his ox or his donkey, or generally anything that is, I've summarized it as do not covet your neighbor's possessions. Again, maybe that doesn't connect too much with each of us, but I remember growing up in the suburbs, and uh, we lived in a kind of a smaller suburb community. And when someone drove in with the newest car, the nicest color, everybody knew all about it. And we were all walking over to take a look inside. Or we were too proud to go over and look. And we just stayed at our house while everybody was oohing and on over the neighbor's trinket and car as they slowly drove by with the windows down. Possessions in general. For you, they might be different than me. And to each of us, we have different struggles than another. But we all desire and can, in ungodly ways, covet my neighbor's possessions. And what I mean by covet, as I summarized with you earlier, have no regard for how they're affected in my attaining it. Again, I'm not submitting to you that you're going to run out and steal and this is your challenge. You're going to beat someone up leaving the assembly today and take what they've got that you've already looked at today since we've been in here. I'm not suggesting that. It's in the heart. It doesn't need to be physically actionable. But your heart says to you, even if I didn't take it from him, if I could just attain it, I haven't given one second thought about how he would be affected in my getting it. How can I love the Lord and my neighbor as myself? The heart of the Ten Commandments. When I just want everything my neighbor has. This is the heart of coveting. 
It gives way to a general mood, as each of us have experienced. Again, I'm not giving you any deep theological weight this morning that you have not thought through and are not actively engaged in fighting. But a word of remembrance that each of us knows. This kind of, th- th- this kind of coveting heart that each of us battle. If we don't fight it, it begins to control our thinking. Have you ever been there? You're strategizing on how to get this particular item It's consuming you. (laughs) And your mood is changing. Your mind is engaged and your mood is changing. Because it's controlling your thinking, controlling your mood, and then you're overall discouraged and discontented. This is the general mood that it gives way is one of discontentment. A spirit of discontentment, once again, is less violent. Doesn't that sound better than if I said you're envious and I'm envious and we're idolatrous, but we just say as adults it's a bit of discontent in my spirit? It sounds much less violent. But we ought not be so easily fooled or or hide what we're really battling. We really are battling envy, strife, idolatry. in a spirit of covetousness. That is perhaps I wrote out for you as we are thinking about present culture and where it is, I would suggest each one of us experience a little bit more like this in the covetous category. That is, I wouldn't say that my neighbor doesn't need it or that I ought to take my neighbor's house, spouse, or possessions. I would not come out and say, I'm going to take it. I'm going to rip it from their hands. Rather, we would more subtly complain this way. I should just have it also. Right? Because you're not violently wanting to strip anybody of their possessions. That's not what, what you're giving way to. It's just more subtly a complaint against the Lord that he has stripped you of goodness and hasn't given you what you need. So it's not that I want to take it, so I'm not coveting. Oh, but we are. Because not that we want to strip it, we just want to possess it also. Have we seen that in culture at large? I think we've seen it big time. It's not that I want to take it from you. It's just that I ought to live like you also. All of us ought to rise in the tide. Why do I have what you have? And we see that in culture massively right now. A sense of coveting. I won't rob you. I'll just ask that you give it to me and let the tide rise with me also so we can all possess the same. This is covetous. And we cannot live and walk with the Lord in a spirit of harmony when it is deeply embedded in the heart. Discontentment with your spouse Again, if he was just better looking or stayed in shape or ran in that marathon. I I wish my house was better and didn't have all these leaks. We're subtly complaining against the Lord. You haven't given me what I need. That's the commandment to love the Lord. It's a summary of all ten. This is the issue of discontentment and complaining. 
complaining when we're giving way to complaining, which I heard again a fair share. It's mind boggling, isn't it? When you take your children, maybe some of you not have children, you take your children. I'm a new father, but it's mind boggling. Take your children somewhere like Disney World. I'm dying from all the overstimulation and they're somehow in some manner finding a way to complain. It's amazing. But then I quickly come off my high horse and realize I do the same. It's a heart condition, not an age thing. I just can mask it better than breaking down and sobbing in the stroller. I can just do a better job, but it's deeply embedded, and I need to fight it just like you need to fight it, as my children need to fight it by grace. Let me, as I conclude our time together, if you all have agreed with me up to this point, and it resonates and it connects with you in your life and the battles that you face, whether they be housing, spousal, trinkets, toys, and possessions, whatever it is, if it is that you followed me along to this point, and you agree with me even in this summary, that each of us in here are guilty of coveting. We look at the law of God and we find ourselves transgressing it in the attitudes of coveting. What must we do this Thanksgiving season as you approach Thursday right now in worship and indeed every season and every day in your life as you walk in the Spirit before the Lord. What must we do if we're guilty of coveting? My answer to you is fight for contentment with thanksgiving. Actively fight against coveting. And you say, great, great, legalism. Let's all get our boxing gloves on and fight the, imaginable, the, the invisible warrior in the room. Let's all do it by a bunch of slave regulations. Let's just mark out our godliness on a sheet of paper and prove ourselves that we're fighting. And so instead of reading our Bible once a day, I'm going to read it ten times a day. That's right. Let's do it. That's godless. We have not the resources within ourselves to fight for thanksgiving. We must fight by grace. Fight in the triumphs of Christ. Reminding ourselves in the perfect Son of God, God has not withheld blessing from me. God has given it. He is not the God who is the Father above, giving and dispensing all good gifts, and He left me out. He has given me all I need in Christ. This is grace. When we look at the law of God and the Ten Commandments, and as we relate to the one I read for you this morning on coveting, you do realize that each of you this morning in the gospel, as you fight according to the strength that Christ provides in His Spirit, you fight sin that so easily entangles. You do recall, you confessed the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as the perfect Son of God. You confess Him as you look at the 10th commandment, that you confess 
Jesus as the perfect Lamb of God. And you realize as you read the Gospels and see your Lord at work in His ministry, you confess Him as the perfect example of all the sons of God. You do realize that you're relating those perfections to His obedience. He obeyed the Tenth Commandment. He fulfilled the law perfectly on your behalf. You're a lawbreaker. And you continue in your lawlessness. So the only way to fight against your lawlessness is to the look to the lawful Son of God who lived perfectly, loving the law of the Lord, laying down that lawfulness for sinners. You remember in his ministry in Matthew 5, as he's wrangling over the law and the Pharisees are seeking to trip him up regarding how do you understand the law? You're a lawbreaker yourself. Remember he said in Matthew 5, I have not come to abolish the law. I have not come to get rid of the law. I have come to fulfill it. For the lawbreakers. To the covetous, I have resisted coveting. I have fulfilled and transformed the heart. So now in Christ, we are law keepers. So how do we fight lawlessness? How do we fight for thankfulness? By looking to Christ who gave himself up for me and has with him the Father has given me all good gifts. Your neighbor's wife won't make your life meaningful. And neither will his house. Christ is what makes life meaningful. And then in him, this season as we go forward, our desires can be transformed in Christ to receive the good gifts of God and to love the good gifts of God in the lives of others. It's not that now in Christ we just don't see everybody else's gifts and now we're not going to covet. Our desires are transformed by His grace to rejoice, not just in His work in us, but His work in another. We can move from discontent and covetousness to thankfulness. For what the Lord's doing in your life, I don't have to be embittered that it's not mine. God has not denied me. God has graciously given all good gifts in Christ. I'll read one last text for you as we close, and I'll just read it. We'll be done with our time. Ephesians 5, and this is the verse that we have given you. No, I gave you the commandment uh, today. This is the verse I wish to end with on you as you read the commandment going forward this week as you look to Christ. Ephesians 5, 20. This is the life walking in the Spirit. 
It says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us together, going forward in a season of thankfulness, resist coveting, fight coveting by looking to Christ by grace. Remember, Christian, He has not denied you. He has overwhelmingly and graciously given you all things in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just a couple of brief moments around your word. Pray that you would strengthen us in the battle against coveting. It's everywhere around us and it's deep within. As James reminds us, we quarrel and we fight, we strife and we are discouraged because we covet and we cannot obtain. So our great lawful Christ, strengthen us once again by grace to be transformed in our heart's desire, to be reminded of the great gifts that God has given by grace, rather than rebuking what we perceive we have not been given. Strengthen us to recall the great works of God this week as we gather with friends and family, to remember the great work of Christ on the cross, His obedient life, His laying down of that life for His people, His raising three days later by the power of the Father for our justification, and a thankfulness for the Spirit that has been given, and with it all good gifts. We praise You and give You thanks. In Christ's name we ask. Amen.